Hey, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Mom of the Hard Kid. Now, when I was first starting out, I'm just going to jump into a little bit of background and say, when I started, the people who are dearest and nearest to me were very nervous about, <laughs> about me naming my podcast Mom of the Hard Kid. And they kept saying, you know, I don't, you know, I'm worried that it'll put particular child in a bad light. And I'm worried that it will hurt particular child's feelings. And I'm, and I, I just want to be cautious of that. And I want you to be cautious of that. But the funniest thing about it is nobody said, hey, which one of your four kids are you talking about? They all knew which one I was talking about because I, there's no beating around the bush. My youngest child is a hard kid. And there's a lot of evidence to back this up, including the fact that she was kicked out of three schools at three years old. So this is, I'm the mom who walked down the hallway to pick up my kids from class after they've, I've been told I need to come get this kid. And I'm the mom of the hard kid to all of these other people, including the people who matter a lot to me and are close to me in my life, and who also value this little tiny person who I will also disclaim and disclose at the very beginning. She had the deck stacked against her. She had a biological mom who did drugs and drank alcohol and before she was born. And then after she was born, her parents neglected her. This kid got so many short sticks. But that is the reason she is this way. But even though there are reasons, it doesn't make her an easy kid. And so before I even started this, I asked her permission. And she was like, yeah, I mean, she's only five. So I don't know how much, you know, credit you get for that. (laughs) But she's like, I am hard. And I was like, yeah, but do I still love you? And she's like, yeah, you love me. And we have a legitimate situation of mental illness and neglect and uh, physiological issues because of the drugs and alcohol and neglect. I genuinely think that that creates physiological issues. And so There are a lot of layers here that make this kid hard. But when you are the parent of a really difficult child, you end up in a zone by yourself. Because in so many other ways, other parents relate to each other. They're like, oh, your child did this. Yes, my child did that. Oh, I relate to this. I relate to that. And you can and you can bounce back stories. But occasionally, there is a hard kid that is so difficult that you you can't relate to the other parents. When the parents are sitting and talking to you and they're like, oh, little, little Johnny, he's such a scamp. He keeps stealing all the candy from the candy cupboard and, and it's just so frustrating. I'm worried about his future. And then you sit there on that side of things and try so hard not to be like, that's nothing. Like, you what? Do not be mad at your child for that. (laughs) Because the truth is, we're all going to worry about our kids. I have three biological children. And this one adorable adopted child at the end. And truly, she has as much adorableness in her as she does difficulty. And she is mega mega adorable. 
if that explains anything. (laughs) But I have these three biological kids and, you know, they each come with their own situation and their own issues and their own things. And I remember I had just had my first baby and I was talking to this lady and she was like, how is it with one? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so exhausted because at the time my baby, I mean, I will go into detail, but between waking up, nursing and getting that baby back to bed, I probably got 20 to 40 minutes of sleep in between nursing intervals. So I was incredibly tired and she looked at me and she had three kids at this time. And she goes, oh my gosh, I wish that I could be as free or as unencumbered as I was when I only had one kid. And I just looked at her and I must have given her a face because I saw her face change. And then later on, she's like, but every kid is hard. And I just thought, okay, <laughs> like, you have hit a point where you have to recognize that not everybody's going to relate to your story. And I guarantee because I no information from other sources that this woman's children didn't have exhausting sleep schedules at this point in her life. Like she had more kids and that might've been, I didn't keep up after that very much, but I'm like, you don't know. You don't know what I'm tired means when it's coming out of someone else's mouth. I remember another time when a friend of mine had just had their first kid and he was like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. And then this friend of his, because this is social media, puts a post that says, I'm so tired of all these married people saying they're tired. Well, I'm single and I'm tired too. And I remember thinking, dude, (laughs) you have you have no idea. You don't get to tell this man he's not tired just because you also feel tired. And him being completely exhausted doesn't take away the fact that you're also very tired. And so I want to come at this from a way where I'm trying to explain why I've gone so crazy. Because I have. My mental health has gone through the ringer. (laughs) Because I think if you are a caregiver to somebody who has mental health issues, then it's a really big surprise at how much that affects your mental health. Where I can say, I feel like I went into this particular patch of parenting. And I, w- I mean, even the very, let's rewind to the very first time I became a mother, I thought, no, I'm okay. Like I'm mentally good. Like <laughs> I, I have my child. I have no children. I've just been on my own. I got married. I got pre- pregnant pretty quick after I got married. And so I was like, no, no, I, I'm good. And my pregnancy was intensely hard. And I was like, that's okay. I'm good. And then the baby came and the baby was hard. And I was on my own. And I just thought, whoa, like, whoa, I'd heard stories of people whose parents came and, and would spend that first week or two with them. And that wasn't the case at my house. Like I, I came home from the hospital and my husband then left and went to work and it was like 6 p.m. And so I was like, oh, you know, and then there are stories behind that, too, that I won't go into. But from the get go, it was hard. I had no idea what I was doing. I wasn't one of those types of people who uh, babysat a ton or 
I, and I was the youngest, so I had no younger siblings. So here's this baby in my, in my life. And I am in charge of this baby a hundred percent. And I don't know what I'm doing because it's your first baby and you usually don't know what you're doing. So I remember just how hard that was on my mental health and my anxiety amped up and my like, I would say depression, but I don't mean it like some people get it. I just mean it was I had some baby blues, but nothing. I mean, some people get baby blues and it's terrifying and mine was just a little bit. And so, you know, having children impacts your mental health in general. Some people it makes them happier, but most people, this is a difficult decision. This is a difficult choice and a difficult situation that you are walking into. It's like a gigantic hike up a mountain. So we made it through my first child. Oh my gosh, she's so stubborn. I love her to death. She's so stubborn. (laughs) Her first 45 minute tantrum happened at six months old. And she was just so smart. And I remember she was sitting playing with toys on the floor. And I went to go pick her up to put her in the high chair to eat. And she didn't want to get up. She wanted to play toys. So she screamed and screamed. And we'd gone from like, practically no tantrums to 45 minute tantrum first off. And I remember thinking, what do I do? So I, I put her in her bed because I'm like, maybe she's just tired, you know, because <laughs> I knew her well enough at six months that I'm like, this is weird behavior. But you also, this is the first time she's done it. So I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So I put her in her bed. She continues to scream. She screams and screams and screams and screams until she finally falls asleep. And then when she wakes up, I feed her like <laughs> it, was, it was weird, you know, but she was she has a lot of strong personality traits, which I have just, I think will serve her well in her adulthood. And then my second child came and he had what we didn't know at the time was a wheat issue that affected his body. He was tired all the time. So he would throw like four hours of just sobbing on the floor kind of tantrums. And, and I, then I have my third baby and my third baby, I ended up with my epidural having some neurological issues. And I had a massive migraine for nine months. And coincidentally, this baby screamed every day for hours for nine months. And I remember thinking, okay, I've got this. So I'm talking to my husband and my kids are older a little bit now and we're still having tantrums, but, but it's all right. We can make it through. I mean, kids in general tantrum, I am well aware of that. And I said to my husband, Hey, you know, we have money enough for our food. We have me at home raising my kids, I was like, maybe we can be helpful. And we can do foster care and offer our home up to somebody who needs a place to be. And it took just a little bit of convincing. He was he was kind about it. He was open to it. But it was like, it's hard for him. He was he was nervous about it. And I said, how about we only do kids that are younger than our kids? And he's like, that's fine. 
So by the time we get the ball rolling, I have a four-year-old as my youngest. And we do short-term foster care. So we're kind of uh, like a respite for people. And we had this one set of siblings who came into our home. And I'm going to bring them up a lot because turns out the diagnoses are similar. So he comes into our home. He is four years old and he has a little sister and he is horrible. And his little sister is mirroring his behaviors. So I'm like, okay, this will be great. Like I'm going to help this kid. It's going to be lovely. And I couldn't do it. He needed every ounce of attention. He caused $1,800 in damages in like four days. Like I couldn't believe what was happening. And I would sit on my, on my lap and he would poop. Like it was just like, I could not figure out what was going on. Um, and then after four weeks, he was like the, uh, the therapist at the time that, that he just got put into it for a therapist. And the therapist is like, he walks into the house and he is like, I can tell just by looking that this boy has fetal alcohol syndrome because he had the visual markers, which then I learned about the visual markers. And then he's like, and I can tell by his behavior that he has reactive attachment disorder. He's like, I don't even need any other information. He has reactive attachment disorder and he has ADHD and he has fetal alcohol. And I was like, oh, and he's like, he's like five kids in one. And I was like, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> well, after this, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not made for this. I'm not built for this. This is not, this is not for me. But then we get this call from DCFS and our parent support person is like, hey, remember that person that you watched for a week, you know, several months ago, she needs a place. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this was my favorite kid. She was five months old at the time. She was adorable. She was just, Oh, every single piece of her was just beautiful. And she was so chill and, um, she didn't cry and she didn't like being rocked to bed. I had to rock every like one of my biological kids to sleep every night. And the second kid took like 45 minutes. <laughs> the first kid took 45 minutes and the third kid took 45 minutes. And then here's this precious baby that doesn't even want to be held. She just wanted to be put down. So by the time she comes back to our house, she's 11 months old. And she came back with a little bit of sass. And I was like, huh, like, cause she was five months old before. So she, of course she doesn't have sass. Very few five month old babies. I mean, six months as we previously discussed for sure. Sass at six months, but she didn't have any. And now she had a bit. That's fine. So she has her uh, birthday, which was lovely to be a part of right after. And, um, and then she started, she was already oddly mobile crawling. She was very, very fast and she climbed on stuff, but she wasn't walking yet. And so at about uh, 14 months, she's walking. And then it was like instantly 
psychotic. (laughs) And people are like, oh, yeah, I understand. And I think I don't know how to express to you that there is a very good chance you do not understand what this means. It was bizarre. The behavior was crazy. She was up, die down, inside out, over, inside. Like when I am telling you there was not one second that you could leave this baby, I'm saying second. There were times when I would be watching her and I'm looking at her and I'm not noticing that she's tearing stuff up Cause I'm, you know, she's sitting down and she's got her back to me and she's just sitting and tearing things up and, and, and you couldn't have one second. And I'm not saying this, I do exaggerate. in a lot of the way that I talk historically, I am not exaggerating here. One second, you're done. It's everything is ruined. Everything is broken. Everything is like, she puts herself in these most amazingly dangerous situations. And you're like, whoa, like shoving things down her throat. Like it was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. And I know that if your mom, like life offers you children and each one's a bit of a surprise. And so I was like, okay, of course, like there's going to be a little bit of I've never had a kid like this, you know, and but I had locks on my doors and I not doors on my cupboards and and little plugs in my outlets and she is taking them off. And I'm like, uh, I didn't know kids could do that. She could undo any lock in our home by 18 months. Any lock. It didn't matter. She could somehow undo it. Now I didn't have like a key lock. I'm sure she wouldn't have been able to undo a key lock. I did have a key lock on like medicines and like chemicals. So she didn't, she couldn't access the key locks, but there are other kinds of locks in the house and baby gates and baby proofing things. And she would just be like, pop and pop it off. And I just thought, like, I have a hard time with that one. Like, how are you doing this? Didn't matter. She could get through anything. I don't even know how she did this because I was watching her the entire time. This is actually one of the many, many, many times when she would be watched at every turn and you couldn't even put her in her crib because she would climb out. So if I had to go to the bathroom, I had to have somebody else hold her while I went to the bathroom. Um, any kind of bath or shower, forget it. She was too fast for my other kids. I only was allowed a bathroom break, nothing else. And sometimes I would bring in her car seat and snap her into her car seat if I needed to make dinner or not make dinner because I sat her in her high chair and we were together. But there were times like if I had to go to the bathroom or if she was really making me angry. I'd strap her in her car seat and I would have her and her siblings watch a movie. And it was awful. Un I mean <laughs> I don't even have the words to express just how overwhelming and exhausting it was. And I'll go into more detail I'm sure at another time about how my adrenal glands failed because of just how all the time this kid was. Um, but I put her in, in daycare, which looking back, I can see that this was 
not a great choice, but I I was I was in the hospital. My adrenal glands were not working anymore. I I was in a way dying, literally dying because this child was so hard. And I put her in daycare and I only had enough money for like four months. I started coming back alive again and I was really happy. And then the pandemic hit and it was like over. (laughs) So I didn't have enough money anyway. So that's okay. And we, we had her all the time because of the, the pandemic. And when I say life was hard, I mean, life was hard. And there were some some silver linings and some blessings that happened. And I'll go into more detail as time goes on. Because I feel like if I talk about this completely, I can't even get to all the details. If I just ramble here for 48 hours, uh, just on these first few years, I'm not going to get enough information to have you know what I'm talking about. Because there's so much, I am just going to fast forward for this episode and say she is doing a tremendous job. Like I said at the beginning, she had the deck stacked against her and she tries so very hard to not be the hard kid. She still is and I still like her. But she is definitely something I had never been able to wrap my head around in my entire life. She has and was diagnosed at the age of three years old with reactive attachment disorder, with fetal alcohol syndrome, in utero drug exposure, trauma-based ADHD, uh, oppositional defiance, uh post-traumatic stress disorder. She has been diagnosed with a total of eight disorders. And I do believe there are four more waiting in the wings. So when I tell you that there are obstacles that she has to deal with every day, there are obstacles. She is tremendously tenacious to a fault for sure, but she's tremendously tenacious and she keeps getting up and she keeps trying. And that is such a blessing in my life and also for her. Like, I'm so glad that she will just, in a sense, fall on her face, sometimes very literally. (laughs) And she will just pop back up and keep going. It's, it's been a an incredibly, I I mean, when I'm saying this, I can just feel how wide my eyes are (laughs) when I think about it. And when I talk about it, I didn't think my life was going to be like this. But I know that she doesn't deserve to have had her life be like this. I know that it was none of her choices that put this in her head. But I also know that since this is here, that we have to deal with it. And that I already know by experience that this is not an easy road. This is a mountain, a mountain to climb. Because if you look at the documentation, the rate of success, and by by success, they, they put it as a contributing member of society at adulthood. The rate of success is 10%. When you have this combination of uh, disorders and 
and things that are stacked against you. 10%. And as a parent, that is incredibly daunting percentage. I look at my biological kids who don't have the deck stacked against them. And I think I see good things for them and I see a hopeful future. And I want to be able to have that for my youngest as well. She deserves it. She deserves to. Every kid deserves to. But it will definitely be a process. And if it's anything like all of the other people whose children share the same diagnoses as my children, it's going to be a long road. So I thought I would create this podcast not only as a reminder for myself, but as sort of an educational opportunity for people who have children with reactive attachment disorder and all um, various mixtures of other issues, and but also for their extended family. I think one of the biggest things when you are in the middle of this is that other people just cannot understand what you're talking about. Things sort of relate in layers and the way that people relate to it doesn't express exactly how hard it is. So for example, that first child of mine, that first child that I had that was so stubborn and so smart and so full of tantrums, I can tell you that if you would have asked me how hard she was, I would have told you she was a 10. Because I didn't know there was anything higher than this particular level of hard. And then I got my next child and I was like, oh, like here is also a different way that this kid's a 10 hard. And and then I got the next one and I was like, oh, and then I get my last one and she blows them out of the water <laughs> when it comes to being in situations that are very, very difficult and But that very first 10 was a 10 to me. And I could not relate to the fact that there would be a harder child on this planet. I was new. I didn't understand it. She did have her difficulties as children do, but I didn't know. And so I am really hoping that by offering up information about our experiences, people can start to recognize that they don't know Because I think the biggest hurdle that parents of children with these types of issues have is that everybody who helps them, their mental health professionals or their family, think that they know, but they have no idea. I also want to say that it is not my intention to ever belittle my child, any of my children, I have moments where, you know, it's really hard and I have a hard time with what's gone on, but she is valuable to me. They are all valuable to me and I sometimes will vent, but they are very valuable and I appreciate the good times and the sweet things and the adorableness. I do appreciate that side, but that doesn't mean The other side isn't real and the other side isn't hard. So I appreciate that you would come on this journey to learn what it's like to be the mom of the hard kid.